Okay, here we are. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? It's good to see you all. We have been in the middle of a series where we have been re-looking at the vision of the church, which is love God, love people, love Warsaw. And in the middle of that series, we invited a friend of mine to come and share with us about the Great Commission, and that is Alex Seidler. I met Alex when I was in Bible school. He was crazy, I was crazy, and God got a hold of us in a crazy way. So I'm so glad that he's here this morning. Would you welcome Alex? Hey, John, we're still crazy. Come on. Hey, it's so nice to be here. How's everyone doing today? Wasn't this the best week ever of weather? My parents were up from New Jersey. I was like, guys, this is not normal. Do not move here. This is like, we know that there's snow right around the corner, okay? Don't believe anything. Don't plant any flowers. Don't do anything. Don't move, and it'll be better. But uh, no, I'm so thankful for this church. And I, I love your mission statement as a church. Love God, love people, and love Warsaw. I think what that does is it helps crystallize truly the call that you have, not just as a church, but also what you have to carry as individuals. Because I believe the Great Commission and the mission of God is not to be fulfilled through professional ministers, but the sons and daughters of God. Amen? So if, 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 if Warsaw is going to be saved through the pastors doing and leading the charge, we're in trouble. Hello. Have you looked around and seen the pastors here? Hello. We need every single person who has a relationship with Jesus, mobilized for the Great Commission. Amen? And that's you, that's your neighbor, that's your friends, that's this church right now. Is the, 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 What pastors and people like myself that lead, lead missions, what we're supposed to do is to help break down and clarify that mission so crystal clear that everyone that is in the church, everyone that's in this community can easily pick up their part and move it forward. And so what I'm going to talk about today is I'm going to talk about the power of one. Everybody say one. Everybody say uno. Is it, who, who knows another language? Everyone say e. That's Chinese. What's another language that we know how to say one? What's un? Oh, okay. Parlez-vous. Okay. What is it? Adid? Adin. Everyone say adin. I'm talking about the power of one. And sometimes when we get when we get excited about the macro mission of God, meaning Warsaw is going to be saved, the world's going to be saved, Northeast is going to be saved, America, we kind of get caught up on all the excitement of a very, very big, amazing mission statement or declaration of salvation. But really what we need is then we need a micro strategy to walk out that mission. Amen? All of us can get very excited if I stood up and said, all of New York State will be saved. We'd be like, oh, we'll take a big offering. We'll, 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 we'll sh uh, uh, shout and hoot and holler and get all excited. But at the end of the day, what it's about is all of us in this room, what are we going to do tomorrow? What does Monday look like? We talk about the salvation of our area, of our city, of our country, of our state, of our, of our continent. But then we don't realize, we don't work it back to our everyday lives. And friends, if you don't do the math backwards and think about the salvation of the world, but then work it back to like, what are we doing tomorrow? If you don't do that, this is what happens, is that the very same people that God has called you to reach now become the enemy. You see... Our good friend Jonah, everybody knows Jonah, you know what I'm saying, like he had, he was, you know, in the belly of the whale, we should know this, this is a Bible preaching church, okay, he's in the belly of the whale, he's supposed to go to Nineveh, he's resistant to Nineveh, listen, if, if God was, if you were Jonah, you would also not want to go to Nineveh, you know why? 
because Nineveh wasn't like like uh like Hawaii like it was far away I might have jet lag I might get sunburn I don't want to leave my family no the Ninevites were known as the ISIS of their day. They were terrorists, okay? So God's calling this guy to go into the epicenter of terrorism and reach people that will probably want to murder him. That's why he's saying, I think I'll choose the belly of the whale. Listen, you and I would be shacked up right next to him in the belly of that whale, okay? We'd be in blubber for days, okay? Like, 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 but here's the thing. If you don't understand the call of God on your life, if you're resistant to that, you'll end up pushing away the very, very thing that God is calling you to. And so this sermon I'm, ta- I'm calling one, and I can't help but just evaluate my own life and think through different stories that have I been overseas, as I've been in missions. I can't help but think about the ones that I've met throughout my journey. And my favorite story of all time is about a guy named Roy. You might have heard me share this story one time at camp or here at church, but Roy was a student that I met in 2007. I was in Asia. Uh, I was reaching a college campus in Asia, and Roy was a student. He was a freshman. And uh, our strategy for living in Asia was we played basketball every day to share the gospel. So I'm going to say, hoop hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is Jody, my wife, she can share later, but uh, she would use shopping and fashion to share the gospel. Someone say, cha-ching. Okay. Yeah. We had to raise some more support for her ministry. Okay. So, but what we would do is we would use what we're passionate about, use what we love to reach others for Christ. And so I would play basketball. I remember one time I was playing basketball on the court, what I did every day. And uh, I, I was playing a ball with this group of students I've never met before. Then after we finished, one of the students came up to me and said, hey, do you want to get some lunch together? And I was like, yes. Like, I was about to ask you. Like, that's why I'm here. I'm a missionary. I want to I wanna connect with you. I want to I wanna, I wanna, you know, build a relationship. And so, uh, so we went out. Uh, we were going to get some noodles. He said, I'm going to take you to my favorite noodle spot, which you can always trust someone in China. You can trust a Chinese college student when they say they have a favorite, favorite noodle shop. Because one, you know it's going to be cheap because they're students. But two, they're not going to just waste their money. It's going to be very good. So he brought me to this amazing place that, in turn, it became my favorite place of noodles for like, the rest of my existence living in Asia. And so we're walking there, and I'm telling you, like a few feet after we got off the basketball court, my friend Roy turns to me and goes, hey, Alex, by any chance, do you own a biddle? I was like, a biddle? I was like, I don't know. I was like, do you mean a fiddle? He's like, no, do you have a biddle? It's a book. And I was like, a biddle? I was like, okay, this must be some like Eastern cult, some sort. I don't know what biddles are. And so after a few uh, more confusing exchanges, he finally said the word in Chinese, do you have a sheng jing? Sheng jing? And sheng jing in Chinese is Bible. And I was like, oh, I, t- I do have a Bible. So I reached out. It was exist- I was just looking through during worship. I was like, this guy needs, I don't know if he needs to be, oh, gosh, there's things falling out. I don't know if this needs to be retired or put in a museum somewhere, but this guy's falling apart. But I took out this a very, a, oh, my Lord. Okay. These might be my tithes and offering, Pastor John. I'm just going to leave him up here. I took out this very Bible, and I said, dude, I have it right here. And he goes, can I hold it? I said, of course you can hold it. So I took it out. I gave it to him. And he's holding it. I've never seen someone hold a Bible with more reverence in my life. And he starts flipping through the pages. And I go, have you ever seen or held a Bible before? He goes, yes, I have. I go to our library every single day after lunch. And in our historical literature section in this communist nation, there's one Bible on the shelf. You can't check it out. You can only go in and look at it. So he goes, I go in every day after lunch, and I just go there, and I start going through the pages. He's like, I've never held one outside of my library. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. 
And he goes, and he goes, can you tell me a little bit about it? I'm like, oh, baby, Elon Bob Institution is preparing me for this moment. So I said, oh, man, I said, I said, well, let's get lunch. First things first, let's fill our bellies, then we'll fill our hearts. Amen. So I said, take me to the noodle shop. Let's go there. Let's sit down. And I'll never forget it. We just started going through, and he started, I started asking him, where are you reading? And he's, he's like, he was like reading in Leviticus, had a bunch of questions about that. I was like, ah, I didn't really show up for OT survey. I might have gotten an incomplete on my, on my schooling for that. I was, on the, I was on the Pastor John Lonneville track, okay? I was like, certain things are not for me. I'm a more New Testament guy. And so, and so we get through it, but I said, I said, Roy, here's the deal. I said, listen, there are 66 chapters in this book, but there's one central theme. And that theme is the redemption of mankind. That theme is mankind. Time after time after time after time, we try to get it right in our own strength. But finally, God comes to us. We try to be perfect to get to God. It never works out. God became flesh. And God came down and sent his son, Jesus. So I'm sharing the gospel with them. Roy gets radically saved at that noodle shop. And uh, I remember asking him multiple times, Roy, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, do you understand this story about God and the narrative of Jesus? And uh, time after time, I would ask him, he would say, yes, I want it. And I would say, well, let me go back and make sure you really understand what you're, what you're, what you're talking about. And finally, uh, at the end, I said one more time, I said, now, Roy, do you really want to give your life to Jesus? Do you understand what it means to follow him? And Roy stands up in the noodle shop, slams his hands on the counter, so now everybody in the noodle shop's looking at us, and I'm going, uh-oh, like, is he an undercover cop? Like, did I get busted? Like, what's happening? And he screams in fluent, perfect English, I want to become a Christian. Stop asking me. I'm like, oh, okay. So now I was like, then I was feeling like a little bit awkward, like, okay, this is now a scene. So I told everybody, I was like, no, we're just rehearsing a skit, everyone. It's fine. We're doing a play later. So I called uh, one of my good friends who was a, a Chinese uh, friend who I was discipling. He came into the restaurant. He led Roy to the Lord through Chinese. So I asked him to speak Chinese. I asked him to lead him in that way. That, that was my, my, my best friend, Sean. His first person he ever led to the Lord was Roy. But Roy became a flamethrower for the gospel. He was the one. I didn't know it at the time, but Roy was the president of the freshman class. This is, one, this is a major, major, this is an Ivy League university throughout Asia, in Southeast Asia. Roy was the president of the freshman class. Roy, the, the week after he got saved, he calls me on the phone, and he goes, hey, Alex, I need help with my Bible study. And I'm like, Bible study? I'm like, dude, first of all, I never said that word to you. I didn't introduce what that is. I go, what sort of Bible study do you have? He goes, well, every night after I got saved to the noodle shop, I've been going down my hallway, knocking on all the doors, making the students come out of their rooms. They come into my room, and I just share the same story that you shared with me, and people are getting saved. They're also giving their lives to Jesus. And I was like, really, you can't do that. He said, I'm going to do whatever I want. Just help me. And I said, okay. So finally, we sat down. I got us some discipleship lessons. I started having Roy sitting down with his friends. Literally all of his friends got saved. His dorm room, there was revival sweeping through the, 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 the dorm room floor, person after person after person. And Roy would do the same thing that I did with him, share the gospel, make sure they understand it, and then bring someone else in to also share the gospel in a fresh way. So every, like people were getting saved, but students were being discipled. It was absolute pandemonium. It was everything that you want in missions, but when you actually get to it, it's absolute chaos. So finally, uh, with Roy being the freshman class, every year after Chinese New Year, the students go on this really long break. It's like all of our holidays rolled into one. It's like Easter, Christmas, everything you can imagine rolled up in one. They have like a month plus off. They come back, 
and the, the freshman class president, every class president, has to give a rousing speech in front of the entire class about how to give it your all in, for, for, for the new semester. And, uh, and, in, and in that culture where, that where uh, we were serving, there's a, there's a very, very popular phrase called shang xin ziji. And shang xin ziji means believe in yourself. So there's a massive cultural phenomenon of shang xin. There's actually, a, there's like a little kid song, like shang xin ziji. All the little kids sing it as they walk down the street. It's like a, it's like a whole little cultural uh, thing right there where they pound into these students, believe in yourself and you can do it. So Roy comes to me and goes, Alex, I've been praying about what to share when students come back from break. I'm like, okay, dude, what is it, man? And he busts out this PowerPoint presentation. I'm like, whoa, what is happening here? Like, I don't even know how to do PowerPoint. And he goes, he starts bringing through a PowerPoint, and it's the, it's the exact same gospel presentation that I was sharing with him. And he goes, I'm going to have all the class, or thousands of students. This is a massive school. Thousands of students in the biggest auditorium on campus. He's going to bring them through a PowerPoint of the gospel. And his final slide is about the phrase, Shangshin Zhiji. And he said, Alex, I feel to communicate with them in order for them to go into everything that they're created to be, in order to make this the best semester they've ever had before. They need to not shangshin zuji. They need to not believe in themselves. They need to shangshin yesu. They need to believe in Jesus. And he says, what should I do? The missionary dilemma. You're in a closed country. It's hot where you are. And so I said, Roy, all I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. I think this is a great idea. I love it, but I'm going to pray and I'm going to tell, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to tell you if you're supposed to do this or not. So he prayed for a couple of days, called me back and said, Alex, I really feel like I'm supposed to do it. He stood up, friends, after being saved for a few months, stood up in front of his entire class. Teachers were there. He gave the presentation. Afterwards, he was severely persecuted by the school, by his friends, by many different things. But more and more and more people started coming up to him saying, what is this thing you're talking about? I don't even know what, who is God? Who is this Jesus that you're talking about? Friends, you have no clue the power of one. All it takes is one person to be radically changed by Jesus. And there's a whole community, a whole family, a whole um, a, a reservoir of people and stories and souls that are waiting on the other side. You see, I didn't even realize at the time, but all I was doing was actually stumbling upon the pattern of heaven. With me and Roy, that wasn't like a ringer, a one-time thing. This is the pattern of heaven. We find all throughout the Bible, we find the, the disciples, we find Jesus, we find all throughout Scripture, the gospel comes to one person, and then the oikos, the community, the family, everybody in the sphere of influence comes into faith. And so if you can join me with right now, we're going to kind of jump through uh, a bunch of different stories for the rest of our time. When should I actually stop? I forgot to ask what time should I stop doing this. 11.45? Or no, that's too late. Football's not on, so it's like we're good. You know what I'm saying? There's no rush, okay? Um, so what we're, we're going to jump through some scriptures here, and I just want to let you know, like, this is a biblical pattern that the gospel comes into a situation, someone gets saved, and then the gospel spreads to that whole community, that whole, the, that whole atmosphere. So uh, in Genesis chapters 6 through 9, you don't have to turn there right now, this is the story of Noah. This is about the ark, and it says, uh, because of Noah's righteous life, even though the whole world was corrupt, God saved Noah and used him 
to save his whole family on the ark. God saves Noah and all those belong to him. Even the ones that are a little bit skeptical about what grandpa was doing, building this big ark. Even the ones that maybe sure they weren't right with him, saying like, hey, I'll, I'll hammer this thing. And what is this all about again, dad? Like, I don't quite understand this. But Noah was found righteous. And then all that were around him were saved. Lot in Genesis 14 Noah lived in a wicked city, but yet Lot lived righteously, and God saved him and his whole household before the city was destroyed. God saved Lot and all those belonged to him. Rahab in Joshua 6, Rahab was a prostitute who put her hope in God, and God saved her and her whole household even though her city was destroyed. Now, that's a lot of Old Testament stuff. You'll realize something. Someone gets saved, they're found righteous, their household gets saved, then a city gets destroyed. That was kind of the Old Testament pattern. Let's jump into the New Testament here. In Mark 5, verses 1 through 20, this is the story of the demoniac. God casts out many evil spirits of a violent man and then immediately sends him to his family and friends in their cities. I'm going to pause on this one for a second. See, in Mark 5, we find this story. There's a man who's been tormented by evil spirits his entire life. He's right on the pathway to 10 major major cities. Everyone knows who this guy is. Everyone has heard him cry out in the night. Everyone kind of like brings their children to the other side when, when crazy man is going wild. Like everybody knows who this guy is because you can't pull up to a port where there's 10 cities and not know who the crazy guy is, okay? I remember sometimes when we lived in Asia or if we go to a major city, there usually are a few characters that are on the streets and you kind of see them as landmarks. I remember that one time we went to a city in Asia that we'd never been to before, and I got us an Airbnb, and we had a little motorbike, and I, my phone didn't have GPS, and I just never knew where I was going. And I'm like, I could ask people, but I was like, I never know. But then there was a, there was a homeless man who loved burning cardboard boxes right at the intersection where we need to turn left. And I'll never forget one night we were out preaching and ministering, and, and it was very, very late at night, and there's no cars out. There's no people out. We're just kind of riding and riding and riding. And then all of a sudden, so there's, I can't ask anyone for directions. All of a sudden, in the distance, I see crazy man's fire. And I said, and we, we do kind of dumb and dumber style when we ride on motorcycles. So Jody's behind me. I said, baby, give me a tight squeeze. I see our crazy man off in the distance. So we were going down the road. We made a left. We honked the horn and waved at him. He was doing a wild dance over the cardboard. But we knew we were almost home. That's who this guy was for these 10 cities. Like when you heard the faint whispers and the calls of the crazy man, you knew that you were almost home. Everyone knew who this guy was. He gets radically saved by Jesus, and Jesus doesn't say, okay, now it's time to come into a three-year discipleship program. Jesus actually does something crazy. He says, no, 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 don't come and follow me. Don't jump on my boat and get away from the ones that you have the most influence over. I'm going to send you in to those towns and cities and villages. I want you to tell them what I've done for you. Isn't that wild? That's like the worst discipleship plan in the history of the world. Do you know how many pastors and churches would be like, uh, yeah, I think Craig needs a little rehab? Is there anyone named Craig here? I'm sorry. If there is, I love you. You don't need rehab, Craig. Pastor John didn't tell me to say this. Like, he needs some rehab, he needs some deliverance ministry, and he needs to, you know, jump into our discipleship program. But Jesus said, listen, you are totally set free. The demons left his body. He said, what I want you to do now, I don't want you to leave the very people that you could influence the most. In fact, in that newfound freedom, I want to release you to bring my kingdom. See, the, the macro plan of God is bringing salvation to the world. 
the micro plan of God is to release you into the areas that you know the most. Missions is easy overseas because you'll never see these people again. You can be crazy for Jesus and you just smile and wave and hop back on the plane. You can act a fool for Christ and just pass out tracks, preach on street corners. But like when it's your, like your neighbors, that's where it's a little bit more awkward. A little bit more tension. Especially if they're like Patriots or Jets fans or something awkward like that. Like, dude, why are you here in this place? I have a brother-in-law who's a Cowboys fan in Eagles territory. I'm like, dude, don't do that, bro. Like, don't do this to your family. Why would you put them through this tension and chaos? Like, move to where you should be, which is not in, not, not in the Philly area. So the micro plan of God, we have to understand the macro plan of God, bringing salvation to the world, redemption of the nation. We have to understand that. We have to do the math backwards to understand. It matters what I do. And the heart of God is for the one. But the heart of God is that when you're saved, then all around you can be influenced for the gospel. So many of us pray, God, send people to my family. God, send people to my workplace. God, send people to my friends to share the love of Christ with them. And God's just smiling and waving at you. He's like, I already have. Cool prayer, though. I want to send you. But I'm not an evangelist, Jesus. He's like, that's okay. They're weird anyway. It's all right. I'm an evangelist. We, we make things look easier than they are. Sharing the gospel with people that, like, there's, there could be some relational, like, tension, that's, that's really difficult. That's not an easy task. Going up to someone and offering to pray for them when they're going through something hard, something that's really, really challenging. And so if you're an introvert, where are my introverts at right here? You prefer, like, to not raise your hand right now. Okay, God bless you. Listen, the, the, I'm, I'm, I'm not, this is not cap, okay? And if you don't know what cap is, you can ask Pastor Chris Lonneville. I'll tell you what that is, okay? This is not cap. The, the most powerful evangelist I've known over the past 16 years are not the ones that can talk and scream the loudest. It's the introverts who can sit, ask one question, and then listen for 30 minutes. You see, because sharing the gospel and loving the one isn't about this as much as it is about this. Because we can talk all day long about Jesus, and sometimes it's what we do, right? Like, we go to the mall and try to see people saved, and you're just, you're just being weird, and no one's getting saved. And it's like, just find people, talk to them, Looking at someone in the eyes, asking them a question, and then listening is one of, especially in these days, friends, we're coming through an era where a lot of people have been very, very lonely, very, very isolated. When you can come in and that sort of love, a listening, full attention love, is some of the most powerful things you could ever do in the gospel. Sometimes we think of our friends and family who say, oh, I need to tell them about Jesus. Yeah, okay, it's true. Tell them about, tell, if they don't know the story or narrative of Jesus and the salvation plan, like, tell them that. They have to know that, but also listen. Allow your senses to be used by God. In Acts 10 and 11, we have the uh, uh, Cornelius. Cornelius was an important army officer, the centurion, who was seeking God. God brought him the good news and saved him. Check this out. You guys know the story. In Acts 10 and 11, Cornelius gathers everyone who belonged to him, and they were all saved. God saved Cornelius and all that belonged to him. The gospel comes to him, and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. This, if you think this is just for me, no, nah, man, 
He gets the whole family. He gets all of his servants. He gets all of his guards. He gets everybody that can hear the sound of his voice. He says, circle up, circle up, circle up. You got to hear this fool right now. You have to understand what he's saying right now because he's giving us exactly what we need in this moment. He gets saved. Lydia in Acts 11, Lydia was a worshiper of God who heard the gospel, and God saved her and her entire household. The Philippian jailer, the jailer was far from God. He wasn't seeking God, but God had mercy on him. That very night, God saved him with urgency. He woke up his entire family, which is dangerous enough, right? Talk about the mission field. Wake up your family in the middle of the night to hear the gospel, and they got saved. And friends, not only saved, I just got a hot tub. They didn't get baptized in a hot tub, friends. They got baptized in freezing cold Middle Eastern water, okay? He woke up his family. He just got saved. He woke up and said, you have to hear this message. You have to hear this story. And they all got baptized. Crispus in Acts 18, a ruler of the synagogue, he was an executive Jewish church leader. He believed in the Lord. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. And his entire household believed. That's verbatim what those stories are from the Bible. It literally says those words. He entire household. So now you understanding, God, you've chosen me to be someone who follows after you, but also then brings the gospel to those around me. One last story I want to share is uh, Jody, uh, when we lived in Asia, we would travel. We had kind of church playing teams in different cities. And uh, one city we went to, they were having a really, really hard time with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this is our team that was there. So we said, well, okay, we can teach on it, but we want to activate it too. So we went there. We did some teaching on it. We went through the Bible. We talked about, you know, the gifts of healing, speaking in tongues, interpretation, prophecy. We were just, like, hammering it in all different sort of ways. Um, And then Jody was meeting with this one young lady on the team, and they were, I believe, at a McDonald's, which is also where the Lord meets you. It's a beautiful place. Um, they're at a McDonald's just sitting uh, in there. It was like a uh, uh, second or third story uh, McDonald's. Over in Asia, they go hard with their McDonald's. That's like top-level cuisine. So they're this like top-tier window seat looking out. And they're looking out across at a hospital. And uh, Jody and this young lady start talking about um, resurrections, start talking about powerful moments of healing. Jody shares with her about a missionary we know, uh, we don't know, but we know about down in Mexico, who they, they constantly see just resurrections all the time. They just go from city to city, village to village, and see people raised from the dead. It's amazing. Um, and so Jody's talking to her, and uh, all of a sudden they look at each other and they go, let's do this right now. And I don't know why that McDonald's chose them, but it did. They both at the same time look over at the hospital, and they go, Let's go to the hospital and start praying for people. So they kind of go downstairs. They're a little bit nervous jitters. They pop some more nugs. That helps calm me down. So they get down there. They go across to the hospital. They just walk up to the front desk. This uh, amazing, probably cute little nurse looks up at them, sees two foreigners in the hospital, which is strange anyway. She sees these two foreigners. And Jody, God bless her, listen, she has the spirit of wisdom and has a way with words, looks at the woman and says, can you show us where your dead people are? And, and the lady, the lady kind of lost in translation is looking around, finds some other people. Finally, they're translating what she says. They're like, uh, and they ask her 
Uh, do you have a specific person you're looking for? And then once again, Jody, led by the Spirit of God, says, no, any dead person will do. And they're like, uh, okay. And so they start talking. Now they bring in more doctors. They start talking to each other. And they're like, okay, what do you want to do with these dead people? And Jody, also being anointed by the Spirit of God, said, we want to pray for them. And being a Buddhist culture, they were like, oh, that's so special. That's so nice you want to pray for them and their souls while they're in the afterlife. Not realizing, we want to see some bodies raised up. And so they, they bring them into, uh, they, they kept on telling her, they didn't know how to translate it. They kept on telling her, we have this like big, big box, this big cold box that we're going to bring you into, which was the morgue, okay, which is like CSI, there's bodies in the wall, you pull them out. They didn't know at the time. They just said, we're going to bring you to a big cold box. And that's all that her and her friend knew. They come in. And all of a sudden, it's like the, like the, the big warehouse lights, the <laughs> and it's just all these, all these bodies that are in this morgue right here. And so they go up, and uh, the lady checks again what Jody says, so, so any, any body will do? And Jody's like, yeah, anybody, we just want to pray for them. So um, they give them like these little, uh, they give them these little, uh, almost like you would use for cleaning they give them these little gloves because Jody said we want to lay hands on them. I don't know. God bless this, this young lady. But So they bring them, and they pull out this one guy, and they go, this guy just died a few days ago from a mysterious illness that we have no idea what it was from. And this is in 2016, 2015. So, no, no, no. This is 2012, 2011, okay? So he, uh, I don't want anybody to freak out. So he, 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 uh, he, he opens it up and says, this guy passed away from a mysterious, mysterious illness we don't know. And... Um, Jody and this young lady say, okay, is it okay if we pray for him? The lady backs off. They lay hands on him. As soon as they lay hands on him, wham, the generator kicked on. And, and, Jody, and the, Jody and the girls, uh, they jump back. The nurses all jump back. And so they pray for the guy. Nothing happens. They kind of close their eyes, open it up one time. Okay, let's pray a little bit more. Open up their eye. Okay, nothing there. They step away. And the nurse goes, okay, are you good? And they, they close it. And then the nurse asks them, what were you praying for? And they go, oh, we were praying for him to be raised from the dead. And then the nurse was freaking out a little bit. So, um, so they leave, and Jody and this young lady are kind of like, okay, that was, okay, we stepped out in faith. We were there. We were believing. We were praying for resurrection. And then on the way out, the nurse is escorting them out of the hospital, and the nurse looks at them and says, hey, can I get your phone numbers? I'd like to hang out soon. And they're like, we're the weirdest people in the world that you've ever met, and you want to hang out. Okay. So they give us our numbers. Once again, we were just in town for a weekend doing training. We left. That young lady who Jody took to pray in, in the hospital meets up with this nurse at a coffee shop. That nurse gets radically saved there in the coffee shop. She comes in and says, I can't stop thinking about why you would come in and pray for someone that you don't know. Tell me more about why would you do that? Why would you, why would you move forward in that? She got radically saved. Like four or five other doctors and nurses from that one young lady also got saved. She started just bringing people to this team and saying, you've got to meet these people. They, they're doing something I've never heard of before. They, they have a joy. They have a peace. They have a message, something I've never seen in my life, radically saved through and through. See, this is the micro story of God. The mac I love the macro. The macro is we're in heaven with all nations, amen? Revelation 7 Every tribe and tongue and nation is represented in heaven. Revival is swept through the world. That's the macro plan of God. Families are restored. Marriages are restored. Children are raised up in God. It is a beautiful message. But the micro is what are we going to do tomorrow? How are we going to love the one that God puts in our life? Stop, stop thinking in thousands. We can preach about thousands. Start praying and thinking about one. 
God, what can I do with someone in front of me? I want your same heart like we find in Luke 15 where Jesus talks about the lost sheep. We sang, we sang it this morning. Jesus talks about the lost sheep, talks about the lost coin. There is a, there is a ferocious like tenacity that Jesus talks about, that shepherd leaving the 99 to go after the one. And then also a guy who has 10 coins loses one in Luke 15. He lost one coin. He tears up his entire house, rips off walls, throws out uh, uh, um, uh, couch cushions. He, like, he takes all of his jeans and all of his clothes out of his drawers, trying to find that lost coin. There's some sort of like tenacity that Jesus is communicating about going after the one. And friends, we need that same tenacity. We can't just assume that someone else is going to do it. The heart of God wants our hearts to also say, whatever it takes, I'm going to love the one. Whatever it takes, I'm going to go after the one. Whatever it takes, I'm going to pray and believe and vision for the macro plan of God. Worldwide salvation. Western New York is saved. Warsaw is saved. But I'm also going to pray and say, God, can you help me tomorrow? Lord, when I get my coffee at the same place I get my coffee every single morning, can I be clothed in your love? Can I be ready to share your love? Can I be ready to pray? Can I be ready to share the gospel with those around me? I'm going to invite uh, Pastor John up. We're just gonna, I want us to close. I want you to stand up uh, this morning. And we're going to close with that final song that we sang, The Jesus We Love You, because I truly believe that um, uh, this, this sort of message of the micro plan of God being executed that your oikos being saved, that's spreading the love of Jesus, it doesn't happen through people that, like, are really, really trying to do it, like, with all their strength. Like, people that are, like, really adamant, this mission is everything. Because, friends, when, when the mission of God trumps God himself, that's never good. All that's going to lead to is you're going to be frustrated. A lot of people re- will reject you. When you start sharing the faith with people, some people, some people will say no. Not everyone's like, oh, my goodness, this is the best thing ever. Some people will be like, get away from me, man. I don't want to hear that ever again. Don't talk about Jesus in front of me. I've been hurt by the church. I don't want anything to do with this. You might experience a little bit of pushback. So, friends, if, if the mission of God overrides God himself, it's going to lead to some major issues. And I think this song so captures my heart that I want to impart right now. It's just that what's going to change the world is not just people that understand the micro mission of Jesus, that just don't understand, like, God, you want to use me to love those around me. You want to use me to bring the gospel to those closest to me. It's not just understanding that. It's also a people that have been caught up with Jesus himself. It's a people that our entire hearts are found loving Jesus with everything we have. Heidi Baker who leads Iris Global, a prophet, a missionary, an amazing leader, says this, lovers will change the world. And friends, I'm telling you, in Warsaw, lovers will change Warsaw. Not just loving the mission, not just loving sharing the gospel, not just loving seeing salvations, not just loving seeing the church grow. People that are falling more and more and more in love with Jesus himself. Amen? So I want to invite you to lift up your hands as a response and this is the response. Are you ready? I just, I, this is the response that I want us to, to have as we sing. The response is simply this. Jesus, can you help me love you more? Jesus, can you help me love you more? Can I see your face a little more clear? Can the love of God fill my heart? 
I don't want to simply just run after the one on my own strength. I don't want to just run after the one and find the lost coin in my, in my own energy, in my own mission, in my own mind. All that's going to lead out is to burn out frustration, broken relationships. We want to be caught up by you, Lord Jesus. So that's what we ask. As we sing, as we pray, we're asking you to come and to fill our hearts with your love. Allow us to see you clearly, Lord Jesus. Allow us to be filled afresh with your love in a deeper way. Let's sing together. Sing, Jesus, we love you. Yes, we do, God. Yes, we do, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. We love you. You are the one I adore. Sing it out again. Sing it out. Sing Jesus, we love you. And Jesus, we love you. Even as I've been sharing this morning, I think some of us in this room, you've been thinking of specific people. You've been seeing faces. You've been seeing coworkers. You've been seeing family members. You've been seeing ones that you know, this is my oikos. These are, these are, these are them. I haven't really been seeing them, that God's sending me to reach them, but this is it. Right now, I just want you to start praying and interceding for them. Right, This is where it starts. It starts with, I'm, I'm going to bring you through a progression of prayer. It starts with us saying, Jesus, I want more of you. Help me fall in love with you deeper. Change my heart. Draw me to yourself. Allow revival to hit me first, Lord God. But then that much transition into praying for the, those around you, specifically by name, specifically by where they're at, their specific situation. So I want you to think of two or three people right now. Maybe you thought of them during my, my sermon. But just think of two or three people right now in your life. Coworkers, family members, children, spouses, loved ones, neighbors. And I just want you to pray for them right now. You don't have to do it out loud if you don't want to. But I want you to pray and intercede for them. Say, Jesus, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Holy Spirit, you said you would draw all men. You, you're, you're, you're the, you bring conviction of sin of righteousness and judgment. Holy Spirit, bring them to a place where they're longing for truth. 
God, in their brokenness, God. Allow them to not stay broken, but allow them to understand that there's more to life. Allow them to understand that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. Allow them to not be content with their complacement. Allow them not to be content to where they're at in life, Lord Jesus, but draw them to yourself. Bring brokenness and revelation of the need of a Savior in the life right now in the name of Jesus. Just continue to pray for them, right? We're going to take 30 more seconds. Just pray for them. Say, God, get them. God, get them. God, they're searching. They're longing. They, 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 they rejoice in their sins. They think they love a sinning lifestyle. But Holy Spirit, get them. Convict them. Draw them to yourself. Make them hunger and thirst for truth and righteousness in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. And then lastly, as I close, we're going to pray this. And this is the most dangerous prayer of all. You ready? We're going to pray for ourselves. And we're going to say, God, we're, we're, we're asking you to see you a little bit more clear. We're, ask, we're praying for them, our oikos, those around us, that they might be drawn to you, that their hearts will be open. But lastly, we need to pray for ourselves and say, God, can we be ready to give away the gospel? So I want you, if you're with me right now, just put your hand on your heart. Lord, the harvest is always ready, but God, sometimes and most times the church isn't. And we pray over ourselves right now in this room that we will be a ready people. We will be ready to love the one. We will be ready to listen more than preach. We will be, we will be ready to cry and be with people more than simply invite them to an event somewhere. Allow us to get into people's lives right now, Lord Jesus. I pray that if we've been removing ourselves from the people around us because they're not saved, I pray that we would take three steps closer right now. I pray that we would come into a place where we can bring your kingdom and bring your love and bring your joy and bring your peace and bring your goodness to those around us, God. The ones that need it the most, God, I pray for our hearts. Help us be ready. Help us to stay ready so we don't have to get ready. Help us to be living in the word of God, living in the truth of the gospel so it becomes the overflow of our heart. We don't have to hype ourselves up spiritually to do something. We're just living in that place that we can give away your love, give away your gospel, give away a testimony, give away a prayer for healing, give away a word of encouragement, Lord God. So we lay hands on ourselves and ask that you would come and prepare us, God. Warsaw is ready for revival. Warsaw is ready for a move of God. But Lord, now we, your people, saying, God, ready our hearts to carry it. Ready our hearts to release it. And ready our hearts to love the one. Lord, I bless this house right now in the name of Jesus. Family Life Church, I release a fresh wave, God, of evangelism, a fresh wave of intercession. God, an anointing that flows over this congregation. God, every single person that walks through this door, the presence of God would hit them. The conviction of the Holy Spirit that draws them to you, Jesus, would be all over them, Lord God. I speak that over the next 12 months, there will be radical salvations. There will be households saved. There will be oikoses coming into the family of God. Lord, I see generations coming through this door. The kids, the parents, the grandparents. Right now, we call them forth in the name of Jesus. We claim that this town, this surrounding area is yours, Lord Jesus. Now release us in a fresh way, God. Release us, yes, to believe for thousands, 
but to believe and contend for the one. Oh, man, there's Roy's waiting for these people at Family Life to meet them. People that are desperate. They're hungry. They're waiting for someone to come to sit down. Maybe not over a bowl of noodles, but to sit down and to love and to listen and to release the gospel. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Let's, let's just sing this one more time, Pastor John. Jesus, we love you. And then I'll pass it.